As we consider God's word this morning, we're going to look at that passage that Mariah talked about. Didn't you like that, that whole thing with the fire and stuff? I was telling Mariah I tried something like that when I was a youth pastor. I almost lit the pulpit on fire. Uh, we had fire extinguisher. It blew it out. There was white stuff everywhere in the church building, and they never let me Low it down. It was, it was just one of those things as a youth pastor, you just learn to live with it. Well, I wore my fire shirt this morning. That's as far as I get with fire. I keep away from it as much as possible. We're going to look at Rack Shack and Benny, three friends united by faith, tested by fire. This is number seven in our fearless series that Pastor Darren has been leading us through. Uh, this morning, I get to give Pastor Darren a break. But we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. Now, Veggie Tales, if you remember the old Veggie Tales videos, they, they had named these guys Rackshack and Benny, and that's how I remembered them for years. Three young men who faced one of the most fearful situations you could ever imagine them, and God delivered them. We want to head to Babylon. It's uh, modern-day Iraq. And it was in the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign over the southern kingdom of Judah in Israel. That's about 606 B.C. is sort of what we're talking about. Babylon is the nation. It is the big country. It is taking over all the countries around under King Nebuchadnezzar. They had attacked and conquered Judah. And uh, he sends out a delegation. He says, go to Judah... Find for me the best of the best and bring them to Babylon. Those that are born of noble birth, the smartest, the best educated, the best looking young men, the brightest future. We want these young men to become the leaders of our nation. We want them to get them to understand Babylonian culture so that they will not revert to their native culture. We want to indoctrinate these young men into our culture, feed them our food, teach them our language, teach them our history, teach them about our gods. And understand Babylon, like many of the nations of those days, was a slave culture. And the feeling was, train the slaves, give them all the education, and then leave the boring stuff to the slaves, like all the administration of all these countries and people. And so that's what we have. And there were three young men, young boys, really, when they were captured and taken to Babylon. And the first thing that they did with these young men is they changed their name. First one was Hananiah. And Hananiah means Yah or Yahweh, Jehovah. God has favored, Yah has favored. They changed his name to Shadrach. Mishael means who is what God is. They changed to Meshach. Azariah means Yah has helped. They changed it to Abednego. Their birth names all related to Yahweh, to the God that they served in Israel. Now these new names all referred to Babylonian gods. So every time we call you, young men, we want you to think of Babylonian gods instead of Yahweh, your God. You know, something that we need to remember is that God wants us to hear what he says about us. And yet our spiritual enemy, Satan, wants to twist it so that we only hear what he says. 
All your life, you've heard some lies about yourself. You start to believe them. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to make a difference. You're not good enough. You're stupid. You're a loser. You're pathetic. No matter how hard you try, your life will never count. Maybe you've heard it over and over and over and over. You start to believe it. Remember what the angel of the Lord said to Gideon. He said to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. And what was Gideon's reply? I don't believe that. I'm the least. I'm the weakest. God saw him one way, but he saw himself another way. And so names are very important. How you are called is very important. Uh, I remember my dad. My dad was Jacob Frederick Geiger, but he was always Jack. And even at the end of his life, when I had to do his uh, estate, I kept finding all these accounts, these bank accounts, were Jack Geiger. And uh, the, uh, the bank teller said, yeah, he said Jack. It's not Jacob, it's not Frederick, it's Jack. And uh, it made it a little more difficult to actually do his will out because it was Jack. That's who he was. That is what he heard. Now the Babylonian leaders in Babylon at this time are saying, let's call them by Babylonian gods. Maybe they will believe that those are the real gods. So every day they hear Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, foreign gods. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can be following along. Here is uh, the words, the story that we hear. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now this is one big statue. 90 feet tall is like a 10-story building but only nine feet wide. It's just a tall spire. It's it's an idol. It is some sort of image. We don't know quite what it is. It was gold. It was probably bronze in behind and then gold-leafed. The command comes through, worship the idol or else I'll throw you into the fire. They had every government leader, every magistrate, every official. It was a big gathering of all the officials of the kingdom were brought together to this uh, capital city. And they were all instructed to bow down to this idol. Everyone come in. We're going to dedicate this huge idol. It made sense within that cultural time. They were trying to bring solidarity. They had conquered country after country after country after country, culture after culture after culture, different gods, different ideas, different things. And so Nebuchadnezzar was bringing everything together in this multicultural society saying, let's all worship the same God. This idol might look like me, but let's all worship this idol. In fact, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fire. So it brought solidarity. Everybody was doing the same thing. We are all becoming one under this country. Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, we continue to read, Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language. See the multiculturalism there? This is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, 
You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. They brought a big band together, huge band. And as soon as you hear the band play, whoever does not worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, the idea probably was that there were these large furnaces on the plains of Dura. They had used the furnaces to, cut, to melt the bronze and everything to build the statue. And even in archaeology today, they found a lot of these huge furnaces that were left over from the Babylonian culture. Well, there was this furnace, huge furnace, big smelting furnace that they would heat up hot. Ten times in this chapter, you see the word worship. Worship. Who are you going to worship? In verse 15, the last part of it, we read this. But if you do not worship, you will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, I've never seen a blazing furnace like this, but I've been near a few big bonfires. Maybe you have too. It can intimidate you in a serious way. King Nebuchadnezzar told the whole kingdom to bow down. Everyone bowed down. Except for three young men. They stood tall, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the king found out about these men, he was furious. He called them in. He says, I'll give you one more chance. When the music plays, bow down and worship. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? What God? Here is a test of faith. Fearful or fearless? Which is it going to be? I think one of the things that we can learn from this particular passage is that a faith that's tested by fire is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that's tested by fire is a faith that can be trusted. Can your faith handle the fire? That's the question that we really ask ourselves as we read this story. Can my faith handle the fire? For a lot of people... I'm afraid their faith can't handle the fire. They maybe have a pseudo-faith, a pretend faith. Many people within our culture in North America and Canada today on Vancouver Island have a faith. There's a faith in a God. They believe in a God. But can their faith handle the fire? Sometimes people have what be what we would call faith light. All the taste, but only half the calories. All the salvation, but only half the obedience. Could your faith handle the trial of unanswered prayer? Can your faith handle the fire of a fallen Christian leader? We trust our leaders in Christ, and then in a moment of stupidity or even years of sinfulness, they fall, and many believers fall away as well. Can your faith handle personal loss, loss of possessions, loss of your health, loss of someone that you love? Jesus, as he was telling a parable in the Gospel of Mark, he says it's like the farmer sowing the seed. It's like seed sown on rocky places. 
They hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Faith light. What happens when you want to conceive a child and you can't? What happens when your child is born and then doesn't live? What happens when someone that you love is taken in a car wreck? Can your faith handle the fiery trials of life? Because the truth is, a faith that is tested by fire is a faith that can be trusted. Rack, Shack, and Benny. They were exiled in their teens. Now they're in their early 20s. They had dreams. They had hopes for the future. They wanted to live. They wanted to make a difference. They were faced with this unbelievable choice. Bow down this one time, then everything's cool. If you don't do this, it's game over. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. It's game over. What would you do? Now, you might think, well, I'm here to make a difference in these Babylonian lives. I want to help people uh, understand about Yahweh. If I'm dead, I can't do that. So it might be better to just bow down this once. I'll still worship God. I, I re really worship their God. I'll worship my God in my heart. God will understand. I'll just bow down to this idol one time. Okay, God, now forgive me. The problem is, when we rationalize one time, we will rationalize two times. When we rationalize two times, we will rationalize three times. Before long, we're simply living a life of compromise. These young men had already accommodated to the culture in a lot of ways. They were changed their names. They were wearing the clothes of the Babylonians. They had been trained in their university of the Babylonians. They were in the civil administration of an empire with very important jobs. They were Chaldeans, the, the magi, the magicians, the scientists of their culture at that time. They lived in this multicultural society. They'd already accommodated many ways that were acceptable, but in this one thing they could not change. There's one area they would not change, and that was their worship. Worship our God as well as your God. Where are we influenced to compromise, to worship? What do we do when our faith is tested by fire? The lives of Rakshak and Benny teach us three things. I just want to leave you with three things this morning. Number one, obey God's commands instead of human expectations. Obey God's commands instead of human expectations. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They had already made up their minds. Long before the fire was ever burning, they had already had a plan. Their plan was obedience. Long before the issue ever arose, they had planned to obey God. They didn't say, well, maybe could you give us a little time to think about this? Could we call a friend? Do we have another lifeline? I need to make a list of the pros and the cons. You know, there may be times in your life when there is only one pro. Obey God. The cons have a huge list. This is not a good idea. But we've already decided to 
obey God. You always go with obeying God. We don't want to have to talk about this, O king. We've already made up our minds. We always obey the commands of God, never the expectations of people around us. Number two, believe God's truth instead of the facts. Now, this is a little tricky here because, you know, sometimes Christians are accused of just kind of pie in the sky and you're just not looking at the facts. But we really need to believe God's truths instead of the facts. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. It wasn't the God we've heard about, the God that our friends serve, the God that we read about in a book, the God that we heard about in a church. It is the God that we serve, the God that we know, the God that's been in fellowship with us, the God that we've trusted, the God that our parents have trusted, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who for generations has been faithful, the God that we know firsthand. He is able to save us from this. The king said, bow down. Now, that's a fact. They didn't do it. That also is a fact. The king was angry. Fact. The king was building a big bonfire. That's a fact. The fire was hot, another fact. Everyone who was thrown in it turned into s'mores. That's a fact. The king was about to throw them into it. That's another fact. Our God will deliver us. That's a truth. You know, in you look at the facts and the truth throughout Scripture. A fact was that it's humanly impossible to walk on water. The truth was Jesus did it. So did Peter fact is, when you're dead, you're dead. But the truth is, Jesus didn't stay dead. When he spoke to other dead people, they didn't stay dead either. The fact is, when you're out of money and in financial trouble, there's more month than money. The truth is, Jesus is your provider. A fact might be, the doctor says, there is no hope. The truth is, Jesus is a great physician. The fact might be that your marriage is in trouble, big trouble. The truth is, God is a God of restoration. The fact might be that you face an impossible situation and you don't know what to do. The truth is, all things are possible with God. The fact can be that you feel far away from God. You've been disobedient to God. You don't know where God is. The truth is, He is pursuing you right now. His Holy Spirit is moving after you. The fact could be that you feel like the biggest loser. You couldn't stand another chance with God. The truth is he's ready for you right now. He's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to distinguish between the facts and the truth. We don't just believe what we see. We believe what God says. We don't just believe the facts. We believe the truth, which is ultimate reality. So, when your faith is tested by fire, we obey God's commands instead of man's expectations. We believe God's truth instead of the facts. And then number three, we don't just believe in God, we believe Him. Many people say that they believe in God. And the huge difference is in believing in Him and believing Him. Scripture says even the demons believe in God. 
Maybe our biggest challenge is that we believe in him, but we don't really believe him. Because his truth does not affect our lives during the week. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they didn't just believe in Yahweh. They believed him enough to put it all on the line and say, he is able and he will. Believe God. Truth is about choosing to act even if we're not certain of the outcome. There's a scene from that 1989 movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. We've probably all seen it, and it's a, one of the youth pastors love this, this particular scene. Near the end of the movie, Indy must pass through several tests to reach the Holy Grail. And the instructions for the path of God says, only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. And so with his father close to death, Indy uh, is, rushes through a doorway below the carved lion's head, he finds himself standing right on the edge of a huge, huge canyon. And on the other side is a doorway. But in between, there seems to be nothing. What can he do? With no other options and time running out, he does the only thing he can do. He steps out into the chasm. There's nothing there, but he steps out in faith. And his foot hits solid ground. The camera pans down, reveals a bridge across the canyon that was perfectly camouflaged to look like the opposite wall of the canyon. Think for a second what Indy could have done. Knowing that this was a test of faith, he could have stood there and tried as hard as he could to believe that there was a way across. He could have yelled at himself, for not going to church more often, for not listening to his believing father. And none of it would have done him any good. The only thing that made him possible to really believe was for him to take that first step into nothingness. And then it wasn't a matter of forced belief. He now knew the bridge was there because he was standing on it. Believe God. Don't just believe in God. In verse 18, it says, but even if he does not, now this is our three young men, Rakshak and Benny, God will deliver us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. This is the deepest form of faith. A faith of no matter what. Let me illustrate it a little bit by going to uh, Tim Hortons. You can buy a cup of coffee and it will be a, it might be a small, you know, that little one, the small cup of coffee. It's good coffee. Small God. And there are those who say, I believe that God can. And that's a good place to start. All things are possible with God. And many people have a small God. Some people have a bigger God, and you, you go to the next size up, that good medium, and there's a bunch of little mediums in there. It's a bigger God, and that's where many churchgoers live. Not only do they believe that God can, but I believe He will. And there are these people whose faith can easily be destroyed, though. I believe he will, but he didn't. Why not? This isn't fair. 
He must not be real. If he is, he must not be good. And a medium-sized God is good, but it can be a problem. A God that you not only believe it can, but believe will. But we need the bigger God, the biggest God. Let me introduce you to that third one, a big God, the extra large, or if you are a Starbucks fan, the Trenta. It is the big one. The God that I read about in the Bible. The God who knew you before you were even born. The God who exists outside of time. The God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The God who knows the end before the beginning even starts. When you know this God, you don't just believe that he will, but you believe this. Even if he doesn't, I still believe. You believe in a God who's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You believe him when everything else goes against what you believe. When everything that you see is going in the wrong direction, you still believe in him. Just like these three young men. When they were about to be thrown into the fire, they said, our God will rescue us, the medium-sized God. But even if he doesn't, I still believe. That's the big God. The question is, how big is your God? We will still believe God no matter what. If we lose our job when we don't know what to do. If we're praying for our kids and they're going the wrong way. If we pray and we believe that God will answer this prayer, but he doesn't. If we're praying for someone to be healed and they're not healed the way that we think they should be. If some that we, someone that we love and respect who is a follower of Christ betrays us and hurts us, if we are hurt, if we ache, if we're afraid, if we feel alone, if we're persecuted for doing the right thing, if his word makes us uncomfortable, I will do what he says. If everybody else is making fun of me, if I don't get the promotion because I am a follower of Christ, I do not Obey what people say, I obey what God says, no matter what. I still worship him because he is still God. No matter what I feel, no matter what I see, I do not live by things, by feelings. I live by faith no matter what. Too many people believe in him but do not believe him. The moment you get hurt, the moment something happens, the moment somebody's not nice to you in church, you run off, leave the church, and leave the faith. When you believe him, you believe him no matter what. Rakshak and Benny said, I believe God can. I believe God will. But even if he doesn't, you need to know this. We belong to him and we will worship him and no other God. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, you know, as Mariah said, he said, fine, <laughs> have it your way, boys. Turn up the fire, heat it up seven times. Go find the strongest guards throw up or tie up Rakshak and Benny. I don't know why they thought they had to tie them up. Anyways, they tied them up, throw them in the fire, and the soldiers did that. The heat was so intense it actually killed the soldiers, so you know it was hot. But it didn't kill Rakshak and Benny. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste, and he's saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Look, I see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. 
like the Son of God. It's an Aramaic phrase. Some people say it was an angel. Some people say it was the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before he was born, as he was in the Trinity. A divine being in the middle of the fire. You may never know just how good the presence of God is until you're in the middle of the fire. I thought it was just us, but there's someone here with us. I believe it's the presence of Christ. I know this is my worst nightmare, but somehow we're not getting burned. And people ask questions. How did you do that? How do you even get up in the morning? How do you make it day by day? And you respond, I don't know. All I can tell you is right now, God is enough. God is enough. That is faith that is tested by fire, a faith that can be trusted. That's a no matter what faith. Sometimes we experience the goodness of God in the most powerful way when we are in the middle of the fire. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. That is a faith that has been tested by fire. A faith that can be trusted. When we're tested by fire, we never obey man's expectations. We always obey the commands of God. We don't just look at the facts. We look at the truth. We don't just believe in him. We believe him. We will know his presence like never before and never be the same. So this morning, are you in the middle of the fire of faith that is tested? is a faith that can be trusted. I'm going to ask Pastor Darren to come and to pray for us as we go through the fires of our life.